Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Hey, Christ- Matt, 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 hey. Oh, hey, Reverend Jake, what are you doing here? Uh, well, we're just going through the budget, and I had a quick question to ask you. How much do we charge for each sermon? Jake, we don't charge anything for these sermons, Jake. They're completely free. Oh, well, that's amazing. Just like God's grace. If someone, though, is interested in giving for the sake of the ministry at Calvary St. George's, how would they do that? Yeah, maybe if they appreciate these free podcasts so much, they just want to help support our ministry, they can head to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a one-time donation or even a recurring pledge. That would be amazing. What a shameless plug this is. (laughs) Now here's the sermon. Well, as Ben mentioned earlier, this is our culminating week for our sermon series, uh, the Stewardship Series, and with the sermon series, uh, The Moment I Realize, in which... um, the three that went before me and now me, the fourth uh, preacher in this month, uh, we kind of give a brief moment, uh, a testimony, if you will. That's not really our style here. We're, we're a little bit more uh, scriptural, if you will, but um, giving a, a moment in our lives where uh, grace uh, and assurance and the faith really took hold in practical, um, down-to-earth ways. And so for me today, uh, the moment I realized that I probably should get a tattoo of Martin Luther. No, I'm kidding. That's not what it is. I will say more about that in a moment. This is traditionally what's called Reformation Sunday, uh, and we don't, we don't celebrate the Reformation because we want to be divisive or because we um, think we're better than others. We celebrate the Reformation, and, and Martin Luther in particular, um, because the doctrine of justification by faith alone through grace alone uh, was highlighted and brought back to the fore in the church. And that's why I, I don't have any tattoos, but if I did, it would be Luther. And not this Luther. I brought a book today um, that I'll read from later. But this has the monkish Luther, the emaciated, you know, kind of fasting Luther. I would want the big, fat, portly, happy Luther on my shoulder. Uh, anyways, enough of that nonsense. Um, my actual title is The Moment I Realized the Course is Not for Credit. I'll explain that in a little bit, but uh, I want to continue on with this Reformation theme for just a brief moment. After all, we had our Ting lectures this weekend, uh, where the, the Dr. Philip Carey, uh, he, he gave lectures on, on Luther and the sacraments and what it means to believe, and uh, it's, it's apt uh, for our gospel lesson when Jesus says unto the blind man, go, your faith has made you well. Not go, your personal piety has made you well. Not go, uh, your performance has made you well. Not go, your ability to fake it has made you well. But go, your faith has made you well. That is, your faith in Christ, uh, who is faithful to you. And so the Reformation brought that to the fore. And I think Christianity throughout its history, when it's been right, has brought that message to the fore. That it's our faith, not our works, that makes us well. uh, That brings us to, to the Lord. And so for my title, the moment I realized the course is not for credit, uh, is, is sort of a, I'll give you a brief experience from my own life, or actually a couple uh, that kind of explain that. But you know, we live this world as if it's for credit. You know, implicitly, we just are trained to do that. Um, and when I'm using that analogy, I mean it in the school sense, for credit. You know, you're taking classes in college, and I'll, I'll tell you why I say that in a minute. But you know, even for me, uh, I wasn't raised in church I was raised, uh, my liturgy on Sunday mornings was uh, Looney Tunes uh, up until the age of 14. And then I, I did become a Christian. I heard, heard the message for the first time. And in my hometown, you were gripped first by either the Methodist or the Baptist. Um, and so the Baptist got me first. And so I was a Baptist for a few years. And despite being able to check all the boxes as a good Protestant or a good Baptist even, I knew that I was saved by faith alone. I knew I was saved by grace alone, by Christ alone, etc. I knew all that intellectually. But in my life, I didn't know that practically. And that's kind of what this sermon series is about, how it works out practically. 
how, how it actually touches down to real human beings in real time. And so for me, in high school, you know, being in the youth group, I had a badge of honor that I wasn't doing what those other teenagers were doing. I wasn't doing um, what my teammates on the, on the football team were doing. I wasn't doing uh, the partying, and I wasn't doing, you know, the, all the things that you're not supposed to do when you're young, but inevitably everyone seems to do. But, so it, it was a sense of self-righteousness uh, that I was doing these things, or not doing these things, rather. So you see what I'm saying? Implicitly, even though I believed I was saved by faith alone, uh, actually... What really was my belief was that I have to be good, and I have to perform, I have to prove myself. And that sort of evolved in my college years, same thing. I, I was part of campus ministries, and uh, I wore that as a badge of honor. And it was a good thing, but on the flip side, the, the bad part of it, the wicked side of it, could be that uh, I, I held myself in high esteem, and I, I probably still do sometimes. So much so that um, even in my prayer life, it seems like a good thing to want to pray for your friends, right? I had a friend who was struggling, and I I felt very moved to pray for this person one evening in my dorm room, and I was praying fervently and thought, well, I want these prayers to be effective. I better get on my knees, as if God reads an email better than just regular old prayers. So I got on my knees and thought, he's definitely going to hear this. And then I thought, well, let's let's go one more. Let's, Let's lay prostrate. And so I laid down flat, and I prayed even more fervently. Believing that those actions, believing that um, my ability to look pious, my ability to seem like I was serious would trick God into giving uh, the prayers what I had asked. Do you get what I'm talking about? Even though I could check the boxes intellectually, in my life I still felt like I had to prove something to God and prove something to everyone else. So much so that I went to seminary when I was 23. Uh, which is, Ben can tell you this, and and Nancy too, seminary can be uh, one of the most spiritually dangerous places you could ever desire to go. It's an awful place to go if you're trying to um, actually be righteous, because self-righteousness brews even stronger there. Because what what inevitably happens is you have 23-year-olds rolling around with their chest out, believing they know everything about the Bible and everything about God and everything about the world, and ultimately they're just obnoxious. And I was one of those. I was one of those. Until the moment I realized the course was not for credit. And I'll give you that moment in just a minute. I keep playing with you a little bit. The moment's coming. But to back up just a little bit, and this is self-important, right? Like, um, it's not, but this is my experience. I remember in college uh, almost flunking out one semester. I I didn't declare a major for about a year or two, and I didn't know what I was working towards. But I knew I had to make A's to keep my scholarship. I knew I had to make A's to impress my parents and my, my peers and not be a failure. But despite all that, I was, I was about to flunk out. I couldn't take myself seriously as a student. It wasn't interesting. Uh, I, I failed a world literature class, a world literature class, which should have been an easy A or B just if you show up and do the paper, but I didn't even do that. It wasn't interesting enough for me. I didn't want to read ancient Japanese haikus. I didn't want to read uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. I just didn't care. So I flunked out of that class. And then the next semester, I tried to get serious because I was going to lose my scholarship. And I read closely in the catalog that there was um, a policy that you could take a class pass-fail. You could take a class not for credit. Um, you could One class uh, that was not related to your major. You were allowed to sort of get an easy A. And so I was like, sign me up. So I did that. So essentially, all I had to do was show up. And I was given credit. So the course was not for credit, but I was given credit. You get what I'm saying? And with the pressure being removed, the pressure not to have to make an A, the pressure not to have to prove myself, to not be the smartest person in the room, it actually freed me up to enjoy world literature. It actually freed me up to want to read Japanese haikus. It freed me up to want to read Gilgamesh. It freed me up to even do the paper, which was not required. And I wrote a really good paper. And I'm not saying that to puff myself up. But the point is, when the pressure is pulled off, when you don't have to work for credit and the credit's already given, you're free to go for it. You're free to go big. 
And I did that. That didn't click yet, though, spiritually. I was still living in that spiritual lie that you have to, you have to prove something to God. Until one awful morning. Uh, I was in my third semester at seminary. I was a youth minister down at Church of the Advent in Birmingham. Paige and I were off. She had a birthday. Um, her birthday's the day before Veterans Day. So it was a long weekend. We went to go see her parents two hours north of Birmingham. And I got a phone call that Monday morning from one of my colleagues at the Church of the Advent. Um, one of my best friends had lost his son. His three-year-old son, uh, unexpectedly in the night, little Cam Cole, and to this day, there's no medical explanation as to why. He was just lost in the night. And at that moment, all the seminary and all the degrees and all the A's, it, it didn't matter. You may have had those moments in your own life where things come crashing down and everything you thought you were working for um, all of a sudden pales in comparison to what really matters. And so, of course, being grief-stricken, stricken, I can't even speak, I'm sorry. Um, We prepared for the funeral that week, and I saw Cameron for the first time, the dad. His son's Cameron, too, Cameron and Cameron Jr. And uh, we just embraced and hugged for, like, seemingly 10 minutes. It was probably 20 seconds, but it was a a deep hug. And he said to me, um, Jay, the last words he he told me before we went to bed that night was, I thank you, Jesus, that I found my Lego. It's, it's profound three-year-old faith to pray for things like finding your Lego. Or, you know, Cam would often come to me and say, Mr. J, I'm praying that your truck will start. He said that to me routinely. I had this awful beat-up truck that would never start, and he would pray for that for me. And it's just amazing to think a three-year-old could do that. But despite all that, for whatever reason, he was taken. And Cam, Cameron told me that story, though, that the last thing Cam had said was he had prayed that he, or he had thanked Jesus that he had found his Lego. And that's who Cam was, and so for the funeral, this was the first Episcopal funeral I'd ever gone to, the first burial rite, and it was profound. Not uh, because they got up and told stories like I just did about Cam. They didn't do that at all, in fact. All they did was read the scriptures, proclaim the liturgy. Uh, the rector got up and preached a sermon on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And somehow, all of that comforted Lauren and Cameron, it comforted Page and myself, it comforted all of us in that church, which was packed out, because this little boy was beloved across Birmingham and across the southeast, and now across the world, as his story keeps going out. My point to you is, in that moment, in that moment, when I heard about the resurrection of the dead, in that context, for a three-year-old little boy, it finally clicked that this life is not for credit. Little Cam didn't have time to build up credit, and if he did, he would have flunked out too, because we all do. But Christ still gave him the credit. Christ gave him, just as St. Paul says in our reading today, just as assuredly as he has been raised, Jesus will raise us also. And that word was proclaimed. And I can't remember any one word from the sermon or from the hymns or even from the liturgy, but I know in that moment I was comforted to know that Cam was okay. He was forgiven and he was loved and that he would be raised up one day. So my friend Cameron has now written a book on this. Um, it's been five years now, almost to the day. It'll be to the day in two weeks. And his book is called Therefore I Have Hope. So if you're interested in Cameron's story, I commend it to you. It's, it's powerful. And his book is given um, reasons why all these doctrines we talk about each week, they're not abstract. They're not um, for the birds. They, are, they touch down in real life and in real time. And in that real moment, he, the only thing he could stand by is that one day he could see his son again. The one thing is that he knew that the resurrection was sure. And now I'm a parent, and I have the horrible thought every day, too, that maybe I'm going to screw up, and something, my worst nightmare is going to happen. But similarly, the only reason I can lay my head down at night is because I'm assured of the resurrection of the dead. I'm assured that Jesus' word is true. 
I'm assured that this life is not for credit. It's already been applied. We get the, the, the fun job of just being auditors. I'm not working for an A. You're not working for an A. God has assigned that to you in Jesus Christ. You can happily sit and audit. That is, listen. Hear the word spoken over you. Hear the word proclaimed to you at your baptism. Hear the word proclaimed to you in the scriptures. Hear the word given to you in his body and blood. That is your job, to be an auditor. This is not for credit. So you're asking, how does this relate to stewardship? I'm gonna, I'll tie up in just a minute as to why that is. But before I do that, I'm going to read a brief portion from this book. I didn't bring it just for a prop. It's actually a quote. And, and Luther says a similar thing to his mother. So this is his letters of spiritual counsel. And if you're not one for theology and abstract doctrines, this is not that. This is showing, again, practically how it worked out. So Luther is writing to his dying mother. Can you imagine trying to counsel and pastor your dying mother? But the reason he's doing that is because there was still um, this awful, awful uh, medieval doctrine that you had to work for your salvation going about. And he wanted to make sure that she didn't believe that. He wanted to make sure that she knew the credit had already been applied. So this is what he says to his dying mother in this letter. Therefore, let us rejoice with all assurance and gladness. Should any thought of sin or death frighten us, let us lift up our hearts and say, Behold, dear soul, what are you doing? Dear death, dear sin, how is it that you are alive and terrify me? Do you not know that you have been overcome? Do you, death, not know that you are quite dead? Do you not know that the one who has said of you, I have overcome the world? It does not behoove me to listen to or heed your terrifying suggestions. I shall pay attention only to the cheering words of my Savior. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He is the conqueror, the true hero, who in these words, be of good cheer, gives me the benefit of his victory. I shall cling to him. To his words and comfort I shall hold fast. And whether I remain here or go yonder, he will not forsake me. What is Luther saying? He's saying the credit has already been applied. The victory is already won. You're not working for it, Mom. And I'll say the same to you, congregation. You're not working for it. So when we give in stewardship or we think that we're praying and impressing God, or if I think I'm giving an awesome sermon, or if Camel thinks he's arranged wonderful music, which he has... It's not for the sake of impressing God, but it's for the sake of pouring out gratitude and thankfulness that the work is already done. And so that's why I give. I give because I want, just like I experienced five years ago, when my earth felt like it was shattered and the rug was pulled out from under me, when my best friend lost his son, I heard that sure word that, that wasn't, the death wasn't the last word, that the resurrection of Christ is and will be the last word. And so I ask you to maybe consider the same. If you haven't pledged yet, this is a good time to do it for the same reason. So that funeral rite for suffering sinners can come out and people can hear the good news that Christ is for them and that he loves them, he's forgiven them. And at the last day, we will see our loved ones again with him. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hi, I'm the Reverend Jacob Smith, and I want to thank you for listening to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast. The month of October is our season of stewardship, and if Calvary St. George's has made a difference in your life, even from afar, we're asking you to consider how you might financially support us in our mission to share the gospel to the very ends of the earth by making a pledge. A pledge says that you're with us in the 2019 year and allows us to help shape our budget and how we are going to carry out this mission in the 2019 year. Remember, no pledge is ever too small. So head over to calvarystgeorges.org backslash giving and make a pledge today. 
And as always, thank you for your prayers and your support.